I'm Marcus Smith, and this is Constant Wonder. Christmas is drawing ever closer, and today again we find ourselves on a journey called Advent, a pilgrimage through time toward a special event approached by so many as holy. For us at Constant Wonder, this season is a welcome opportunity to share with you an audio calendar that mirrors all that hopeful anticipation. We're bringing you short episodes every day right through the 25th. Our special guests for this series exhibit a spirit of wonder and awe connected to feelings of hope, reverence, peace, and goodwill. She's a nowhere's person in a nowhere place. Why would a divine being come to her? It's December 17th. That's Gay Strathern, a professor at Brigham Young University, specializing in the origin of Christianity and ancient Near Eastern studies. We're picking up this two-part conversation right where Gay left off yesterday, describing Mary's humble beginnings in a tiny village in the region of Galilee. Gay was setting the stage for Act 1, Scene 2 in St. Luke's story of the Nativity, Scene 1 having been the appearance of the angel Gabriel to Zacharias in the imposing temple in Jerusalem. Now Gabriel brings his message to Mary in a nowhere place called Nazareth. And she's going, whoa, whoa, why am I, I can imagine, right? Why am I highly favoured? Why are you coming to me? Why not some of the other girls? And probably more importantly, why aren't you going to the high priests and priestly class women in Jerusalem? Why are you coming to me in this place? Gabriel's coming to this young girl and saying, God is aware of you. And she's saying, why me? This is blowing her mind. The exchange between Mary and Gabriel, Gabriel delivering his message, Mary giving her response, has been celebrated over the centuries in song and carol. The dramatic event, as recounted in the Gospel of Luke, comes to a conclusion somewhat tersely, with the simple words, and the angel departed from her. We can scarcely imagine her condition, left alone and utterly astonished, to say nothing of the next step she scarcely knows how to take but must in coming days. She's just made this brilliant statement that I love, right? Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. I don't think that she understands fully the implications of what this is, but she still says, okay, even though I don't understand it, if that's what the Lord wants. In Gabriel's presence, I think that works, right? But what happens when Gabriel leaves? Um, She's left alone. What's it like for Mary to go home and have a conversation with her parents? What's it like to even have a conversation with Joseph? Now, Matthew is going to tell us he has his own divine experience, but what is it like living in this small, small hamlet when she starts to show that she's pregnant, knowing that she's not married yet, what's that going to do to her in terms of social stigma? She's alone. And how do you deal with it? Is she being shunned? We don't know, but 
we do know in antiquity those things happened. And so the Lord, I think here, is telling us that he knows that this is not going to be easy for her, but he's also not going to leave her alone. The very next detail St. Luke describes is how Mary receives moral support on a visit to her much older relative, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth has had something of a miracle in her life. Conceiving John when well past her own childbearing years, and when Mary arrives, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and that's interpreted as his recognition of the Christ child that Mary is carrying. If there's anyone in this world knows something about what Mary's feeling, it's Elizabeth. These experiences happen with Elizabeth and with John, who's in the womb, confirming to her that she's not crazy, she's not an immoral woman, but this is a divine thing. And is it to Elizabeth then that those famous words are spoken by Mary that have come down through time with that term, the Magnificat? The Magnificat it is, yeah. So the Magnificat is just a Latin term for where Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And I love this this expression from Mary. I can imagine that she's still fearful of what this means for her life, but she's also had time to think about the rejoicing here. Here in these lyrics, which are drawn from that passage of Scripture now known as the Magnificat, Mary refers to God as mighty, and she refers to herself as her Savior's handmaiden. At least that's the the word handmaiden in the King James translation, but other Bible translations say servant. In ancient times, servant, well, that could very well mean a slave. So what might be the implication here? This is not her being enforced into slavery, but this is her declaring her willingness to submit to the Lord and to God and to his will, to put his will above her will. He hath regarded me from Nazareth and poor, somebody who is a handmaiden, for behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. So you read this passage as Mary... Uh, seeing God as the opposite of vengeful, vindictive, threatening, not that uh, consuming fire, not that uh, fatal, potentially fatal presence that the temple priests were worried about, but much rather uh, as a kind, caring sort of God, solicitous of, of her well-being. The Israelites, if we read the Old Testament carefully, they're talking about him in terms of mercy. And Mary is picking up on this. She is seeing a merciful God here in what's happening. I think 
this is coming back again that he hasn't chosen someone from Jerusalem. He hasn't chosen someone from the priestly class. He's chosen Mary. It's just as ringing in my ears. It's all about who is powerful, who is weak, the haves and the have-nots. That's kind of the theme. Yes, and, and that's really, really important for Luke's gospel because it's not just introducing Jesus and Mary, but it's setting up Jesus' ministry to those who are on the periphery of society. And so one of the ways that we kind of see that also is that we've talked about Mary coming from Nazareth. There is just three and a half miles away, there's this city, Sepphoris. Sepphoris isn't mentioned in the New Testament at all, but it was taken over by Herod Antipas. He wants to make it a jewel in the crown, right? And so this then becomes this centre of wealth, prosperity, and it's in contrast to Nazareth. And so is it happenstance that we have no record of Jesus ever going to Sepphoris? Because that's not where he's at. He's there to help the poor, those who are struggling to make it through. And that's where he has focused his ministry. And so this whole story then sets the scene for what Jesus is going to do. For his mercy Still chatting with her about the Magnificat, I asked Gay Strathern about this mention of generations. She linked this reference to a promise called the Abrahamic Covenant, a relational contract understood in the belief of Mary's Hebrew community as a lasting promise from God, durable down through the generations. I read this as Mary thinking, whoa, God has called me to do this, but he's also using me as part of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. I have a part to play in that. And for an Israelite, a Jew, that is just the pinnacle, I think, of religious experience for her. In a way, she's saying, I'm a very small player in a very big story. Yes, Jesus has a role for each of us to play. How are we going to respond when he calls us to do his work? It may not be in the same way as Mary, but he calls us, are we going to respond with, here I am, Lord, choose me. You can trust me to do your work, even though I can't see the end from the beginning and understand all of the costs of what it means to follow Jesus. And I think being a disciple is about costs, but this trust in God that I don't see the end, but I'm willing to trust you and go on the journey with you. I love that. Gay Strathern is a professor at Brigham Young University. She specializes in the origin of Christianity and ancient Near Eastern studies. Thanks for joining us for this two-part conversation with Gay on Constant Wonder, days 16 and 17 of our Advent observance. 
If you happen to miss day 16, which was part one of the conversation, or any other Advent episode going right back to December 1st, you can find our whole series at byuradio.org, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Tenery Taylor with help from Colson Darrington and sound designed by James Call. Excerpts from My Soul Doth Magnify the Lord from The Redeemer by Robert Kundick were from a performance by soloist Stephanie Buckley with the BYU Singers under the direction of Ronald Staley, courtesy of the Heritage Series on Tantera Records. Tomorrow, December is a dark and cold time for mammals like ourselves. But for fish in Lake Michigan, the storms above the water's surface bring an abundance of oxygen and nutrients, and this signals a female lake trout that it's time to return home to lay her eggs. What can lake trout tell us about Christmas? Join us tomorrow for another Advent vignette. I'm Marcus Smith. Constant Wonder is a production of BYU Radio.